Return to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 37. Hotel Charlemagne, New Orleans, Louisiana. Sunday, September 22nd, 1963, 9 a.m. I don't think that going to Mexico is remotely safe, Patch, she said from across the room. She turned at the window drapes. Patch closed his eyes to the table and rested his chin on his clasped hands. We've been over all this before, Sherry. I don't have a choice. Somebody wants information. I'm sure Pilatus would have gone himself, but things got too hot. He knows more. I know he does. He deliberately got himself captured in that bank, she said as she crossed the carpet. He took himself out of whatever he was doing. Or whatever he found out. Her glassy eyes focused upon him. And you really think that you can just report on this Mexico thing without someone coming after you? It's certain they will kill me if I don't do it. Oh, Patch, she said crying as she held him. Listen, I could take a bus from New Orleans to Texas. I'll get a bus schedule, and then to Mexico City. I'll do as Pilatus says, then I'll come back to New Orleans. This is so very dangerous. He wiped around her eyes with his hand. I can accomplish this real quick and be back in a couple of days. The last manila envelope said Oswald was leaving New Orleans around the first of the month. Let's check out his apartment before he leaves town. 4907 Magazine Street, New Orleans, Louisiana, Sunday, September 22nd, 1963, 1.12 p.m. Inside the Porsche, Patch listened through the headphones to the birds and cars passing by. The lady who owned the light brown 1955 Chevy station wagon had told Oswald a half an hour ago that she and Oswald's wife were leaving for Texas in the morning. Oswald called her Mrs. Payne. She had a plain face and dark hair. He sat up as Oswald loaded a rumpled duffel bag into the station wagon parked next to the apartment. A stocky man in his mid-forties appeared in the backyard and then was back inside the apartment. They don't have much, Patch, said Sherry. A few tiny suitcases. Patch slid one of the headphones upward. Boxes and a couple of duffel bags stuffed with clothes. Baby beds and playpens. That's right. His wife is pregnant and they already have a little daughter. Patch saw Roswell gesture as he spoke. He slid the headphone back on his ear. I have a friend in Houston and might look for work in Philadelphia. He may go to Houston or Philadelphia. There's your answer for Pilatus. We'll see. Who's he talking to? Patch shook his head. I don't know. Maybe the chubby guy. Again, Patch's lids became heavy as the conversation trickled away. Ten minutes later, he heard Oswald's wife in the background say something in Russian. Oswald kissed her as if he would really miss her. What is it? asked Sherry. Patch kept listening as Oswald, with more boxes, walked to the station wagon. His wife just said something in Russian, and I have no idea what she said. I say we come back tomorrow and verify they're leaving. Hold on, said Patch as he heard another voice. Sounds like his landlord. Okay, Lee, but you still owe me 15 days' rent, half of $65. I'll see that that station wagon is packed with your personal belongings. My wife is going to have a baby, and they are moving to Texas. I will be here in the apartment. Is he going to Mexico or not? He could be lying. 
Hotel Charlemagne, New Orleans, Louisiana, Sunday, September 22nd, 1963, 9.45 p.m. Patch waited at the front desk as the clerk retrieved the phone message. In his hand, he held a Greyhound bus schedule. He had circled the bus route for Thursday afternoon to Laredo, Texas from New Orleans at 4.45 p.m. That trip allowed him one option to follow Oswald into Mexico. Even though Pilatus had said Oswald would more likely arrive in Laredo from Houston, the more viable plan would simply be to trail him directly out of New Orleans. Patch believed that the two options would coincide and that Oswald would be on that Laredo bus. There was a phone message for you, Mr. Kincaid, said the bald-headed clerk. I apologize, but I must have misplaced it. I'll, I'll have the bellboy bring it up to your room. Again, I, I apologize. No problem. Do you know who it was from? I, I'm sorry, I didn't take the call. Okay, send it up to my room. Patch walked over to the wood panel elevator. He pushed the button for the 11th floor. As the brass doors closed, he tried to figure out what Oswald was up to in Mexico City. Given his activities of the past 60 days, Oswald might attempt to penetrate certain groups. Perhaps he was going to do that once he came back to the United States. Or, if he were going to the Cuban and Soviet consulates, he could be requesting something from them. Patch remembered Pilatus's warning about staying in the shadows. He would have to document Oswald's activities and not get caught himself. The doors opened and he walked into the hotel hallway. Still deep in thought about his trip, he knocked on room 1111. Sherry called out his name from behind the door. Patch? No, it's sweetness. The chain rattled and she opened the door but then ran back inside. Are you okay? I have to see what Hoss does. What? He asked as he closed the door and reinserted the chain. Hoss? See, this floozy from San Francisco ropes him into being his wife. He looked at the western mountains on the TV. Oh, Bonanza. Right. Oh, sure, he can love her, and then, and then... And then what, smiled Patch. She seduced Adam, and, and she still tries to marry Hoss. Well, damn. He fell back on the bed, still holding the bus schedule. I found a bus to Laredo on Thursday. Don't do it, Hoss, she said, leaning toward the TV. She told him it wasn't Adam's fault. Well, glory be repeated Patch, and he set the bus schedule on the side table. You wouldn't do that, he said, imitating the TV. Oh, Hoss still thinks she's as pure as the driven snow. Oh no, someone with a shady past, said Patch from the bed. She stood up and sat on the bed next to him. Again, she repeated what she had just heard on TV. Once you made up your mind that I was the one, then you wouldn't have to search no further, ever. Is that right? She nestled herself on top of him and kissed him. Maybe we should watch Bonanza every week. She parroted the final line. There goes one we'll never forget. Then she did leave. As they rolled over on the bed, a loud knock on the door echoed around the room. Oh no. Oh yes. Patch slid off the bed and clamped his hand over the 38. Who is it? Bellboy with your message. Okay, he said, gripping the gun as he headed for the door. He slid back the chain and opened the door. A thin man in a brown uniform handed him a white envelope. Patch gave him a dollar and thanked him. He locked up and went back to the room as the Bonanza theme song played on the TV set. Patch glanced at the TV and ripped open the envelope. He slid out the pink piece of paper. This is impossible. 
from Dr. Alexander Moon to Patch Kincaid, the time traveler. Message, you can eliminate one except when there's two, and now there's just one. Moon. What is it? She looked at the note. Somebody's idea of a bad joke? No. The younger one. The moon of this time period. Moon got to his earlier self. Then I did come back through time. That's what happened. 4907 Magazine Street, New Orleans, Louisiana, September 23, 1963, 10.06 a.m. The thin-framed Oswald hugged his brunette wife and held on to her for quite some time. They moved back into the house. Patch saw silhouettes of Mrs. Payne and the fat guy inside the station wagon. He turned up the audio in his amplifier. Payne's voice was clear. Nashon Island is near Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Two weeks. Beautiful area. Nice place to vacation, no doubt. Oh, that was just the beginning, really. He leaned forward. Where the hell is she? Let them have a few minutes together. I went to Vermont next, and I stopped at a college I went to around Philadelphia. I stayed at the main house outside Philadelphia another two weeks. You have time. I saw my sister in D.C. and some friends. Do you know that I was able to hear Dr. King's speech on the mall? I heard there was over 100,000 there. More than that, I went back to Philadelphia for the Labor Day holiday. I next saw my mother in Columbus, then to Antioch College in Ohio. I graduated from Antioch in 1955. Then I traveled to Indiana. When I heard about the bombing of the 6th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, well, I drove to Alabama to donate some money. Then I made my way over here to New Orleans. A lot of traveling, a lot of cities. A few seconds later, Oswald and his pregnant wife walked around the corner with their daughter. He opened the rear door and ushered his wife and daughter inside. After some time, he closed the door and walked around to Mrs. Payne. He leaned toward the window and again said something about Houston. Patch watched the station wagon, loaded with Oswald's personal effects, back out. Oswald himself stood steady at the corner and watched them leave. Mrs. Payne turned into a gas station down the street. Patch took off the headphones. Oswald finally went back in the house. Back at the station, the attendant checked the tire pressure on one of the station wagon's tires. Do we just wait here for him to leave for Mexico? Patch pressed his lips. Our main thing right now is Mexico. We'll check the post office box, but let's just relax until Thursday. Go to the park or the beach. I have a feeling Mexico will be very challenging. Return to Dallas, Chapter 38, Lafayette Square Post Office, New Orleans, Louisiana, Wednesday, September 25th, 1963, 7.45 a.m. Patch carefully crossed the Lafayette Post Office's tile floor. Later, he would buy some donuts and coffee for the hotel room. A greasy-haired man in cocky pants and a lightweight jacket lingered at one of the boxes. As Patch walked closer, he thought he had seen this man in one of the New Orleans bars, but he wasn't sure. The man pulled out a single white envelope and closed box 300061, Lee Oswald's box. The man locked the box and smiled at Patch as he passed. Morning, he said in a Spanish accent. Morning, Patch answered as he stepped over to his own box. The man, maybe five foot eight or nine, walked up to the closed counter. 
He removed the brass key from his pocket and slipped it under the corrugated metal enclosure. Then, with the envelope in his hand, he exited through the front door. Patch inserted his own key, and when he saw an empty box, he quickly closed it. Then he hurried back toward the counter. When he saw the discarded key under the window cover, he ran toward the exit. Once at the front door, as he casually walked outside. But as he descended the stairs, the man from the post office stood in the park with two other dark-haired men, probably Cubans. Patch crossed the road diagonally and looped behind the statue. As he inched closer in the morning stillness, the voices became clearer. The man from the post office said he needed to cash Oswald's unemployment check at the Winn-Dixie on Magazine Street. Then all three men scattered across the park. Patch rounded the statue and put his hands on his hips. He tried to put the pieces together as he backtracked toward the Porsche. Oswald must have already left town as evidenced by the discarded post office key. Patch started the car and cut a course toward Magazine Street. He was not quite sure about the location of the Winn-Dixie. As he drove and checked both sides of the road, he questioned how this Cuban could cash a check in Lee Oswald's name. He lingered in the Winn-Dixie's produce section. The store had just opened. Fifteen minutes after first spotting the Cuban in the post office, Patch noticed the greasy-haired man walked alone through the glass doors up front. At the service area of the store, he talked to a woman clerk. She nodded her head when he showed her a letter or a note. She laughed and took the check from the envelope. Patch heard her count out $33. Then with the money in hand from Oswald's check, the Cuban scooted out the front door. Patch waited before continuing up the bread aisle. Then he also exited the store. With no sign of the man or his friends, Patch returned to the Porsche. No one had signed that check. Either this man or Oswald knew the clerk personally. By the way she nodded, it seems like Oswald had already talked to her. Patch shifted down Magazine Street to Oswald's apartment. Maybe Oswald was already on his way to Mexico. He parked the car a block away and started down the sidewalk. The house where he and Sherry had met Pilatus weeks ago stood diagonally across the street. Patch snuck around the side of Oswald's apartment house. He approached slowly and out of sight from the road. When he peered in the window, he noticed piles of rubbish, papers, and junk on the floor. Oswald had already left, probably to Houston, as Pilatus had said. The smartest thing for Patch would be to get to Laredo on the Mexican border before Oswald arrived on the Houston to Laredo bus. Return to Dallas, Chapter 39. Laredo, Texas, Thursday, September 26, 1963, 1.06 p.m. Patch and Sherry arrived in Laredo, Texas, just after noontime. They nibbled on cheese sandwiches and sipped coffee at the noisy little Southland Cafe at the corner traffic light. His plan was simple. He would check the bus for Oswald and nod to Sherry by the Porsche as whether Oswald had arrived by the Houston bus. She would then mail the information to Pilatus' contact in Los Angeles. Patch would then ride the bus to Nuevo Laredo and enter Mexico. He would travel to Mexico City whether or not Oswald had boarded the bus. Patch held Sherry's hand along the sidewalk near the Hotel Hamilton. 
He gazed up at the multi-storied old hotel with its Spanish inlays and brick arches over the windows. I'm afraid, Pax, the CIA or FBI will grab you on that bus to Mexico City. I don't have much of a choice if Pilatus' people don't get that information in L.A. I wonder where Pilatus is right now. Probably in federal custody. Or dead. Got himself out of whatever operation he was in. That scares me, too. We got sucked into this by Rosselli and his money. I'm not so sure. Sully talked to somebody and then immediately sent me to Vegas. Who knows who is coordinating what, Sherry? He could be just the relay for another party. Regardless, we're in this situation. I don't care about the money anymore. She held on to him as they approached a side news store. What about Dallas? They want us in Dallas. He picked up the San Antonio Express near the open door and put down a quarter at the register. The little woman at the counter smiled and opened the register. She put the quarter in the machine as Pat studied the headline through the plexiglass. Senate ratifies nuclear test ban treaty 80 to 19. I wonder if the Russians will keep their side of the bargain. I bet you're not the only one thinking about that, he said back on the sidewalk. The Joint Chiefs and the Pentagon must be apoplectic. Apoplectic? You sound like Walter Cronkite. CBS News, said Patch, covering his left ear and lowering his voice. He smiled and folded the paper under his arm. Shari, you check into that hotel where we met Jim Pearl. The Cabana Moda Hotel. Right. I will call you once I'm back on the bus from Mexico City. Then I'll head right up to Dallas. You have Rosselli's number, McWillie's number, and Diwali's number. If you see or hear anything related to Moon or anything else threatening you, call them right away. I also have the gun. Don't give Moon any breaks. He handed her Pilatus's request. Here are two letters in the envelope to the L.A. address. Use that mailbox at the terminal. I say he's not on the bus, Patch. Unknown, sweetness. She hugged him again. They just stood on the sidewalk for the longest time. A man in a tall Stetson hat stared as they headed toward the bus stop. Arm in arm, they passed a liquor store. Again, he looked at his watch at the corner cafe. They moved along the parked cars back to the black Porsche, positioned across from the bus stop. If Oswald is on that Houston bus, I'll give you the thumbs up and, and if he's not, thumbs down. You're getting pretty sophisticated with those signals, Patchy. He held her shoulders and kissed her. How will I survive two days without you? She straightened his shirt collar. You just behave yourself, Mr. Kincaid. He held her hands and slowly backed away. But as he quickly moved forward, he kissed her again. Then he walked deliberately to the bus area. She waved at him from across the lot. Just before 1.20 p.m., the red and white Continental Railways bus, number 5133, designated Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, rounded the corner. The sound of the brakes and the loud engine sent Patch's heart pounding. With Sherry straddling the Porsche's door in the background, he checked the bus's windows but was unable to see inside as the bus squeaked to a stop. His face tightened as he realized he would actually have to get on that bus. Oswald might recognize him from the post office in New Orleans or Dallas and placed a pair of reflective sunglasses over his eyes. Two drivers were on bus 5133. After a few people got off the bus, Patch handed the ticket to the first driver. The driver, Claude A. Pyatt, ripped a receipt and handed it back. 
Patch knew Sherry would report either way to Los Angeles. The corrugated rubber stairs gave the bus an industrial smell. As he nudged forward, he formed an internal snapshot. Within ten seconds, he was fully aware that Oswald, a thin man with a dark receding hairline, had not traveled on the Nuevo Laredo bus. Up front, a young couple with distinct British accents chatted, and he noticed an older man up back. Patch exhaled, adjusted his sunglasses, and spun into a seat midway down the bus. In Nuevo Laredo, he would need to purchase a ticket to Monterey, connecting to Mexico City. Then he headed back up front. As he passed the second driver, R.H. Thomas, he glanced at his clipboard and double-checked the manifest, but he did not see the name Oswald. Then he scampered down the steps. Where are you going? asked the driver. Hold on. In the doorway, Patch gave her a distinct thumbs-down sign. She saluted him. Then she checked the letter and sealed it in the envelope. She rounded the car and deposited the envelope in the red and blue mailbox. Patch waved again as she returned to the Porsche. She blew him a kiss and he backed up the stairs. He returned to his seat on the bus, again checking for Roswald one more time. His heart continuously thumped as the driver closed the front door. He waved at Sherry, still at the Porsche's door as the bus rolled forward. The engine hummed, then the bus pulled away. When he glanced out the window again, she had driven around the corner. Why had Pilatus been ordered to kill Oswald? He slumped in the seat and closed his eyes. As the bus moved through traffic on the extended international bridge over the Rio Grande, he became fully cognizant of the risk in traveling to Mexico City. Oswald might have gone by plane or car. Pilatus insisted at the point of death that Patch find out about Lee Oswald's activities in Mexico City and whether he tried to travel to Russia via Cuba. That meant watching both the Cuban and Russian consulates, and that put him in danger of U.S. operatives as well as Pilatus's killer if he did not report what he saw. Carretera Federal 85, Nuevo Leon, near Monterrey, Mexico, Thursday, September 26, 1963, 4.15 p.m. Two hours into Mexico, Patch stared at a sleeping Mexican man in disheveled clothes. He questioned if he had put too much credence in Pilatus's concern about Lee Oswald. The noisy bus had at least 40 passengers, mostly Mexican. He easily passed through customs in Laredo with his tourist card and handed a carbon copy of the form FMA to a Mexican immigration inspector. He got close enough to the woman typing the passenger list on Mexican form FM11. Neither the name Hidal nor Oswald appeared on the list. He double-checked that fact when he later signed the list. They inspected his gym bag and he boarded the noisy Fletcher Roja bus number 516. What lay ahead? Past Monterey and at the embassies in Mexico City. Patch stretched his legs at a 10-minute rest stop in Sabina's Hildago, halfway to Monterey. Then he returned to his section on the bus. English-speaking passengers were designated in the first four seats. As the bus continued to Monterey, he listened occasionally, feigning sleep to the general conversation of the couple from England in the seats up front. They were journeying to study the Indians in the Yucatan. 
I'm en route to Cuba, said a wiry-haired man with a Midwest or Chicago accent through the bus noise. Patch sat up and blinked his tired eyes. I have to go via Mexico because it's illegal to travel there from the United States. He caught a glimpse of a man near 30 with curly, blonde, wiry hair. This man, not Oswald, proclaimed that he wanted to go to Cuba just as Pilatus had told Patch Oswald might try to do. I'm secretary of the New Orleans branch of the Fair Play for Cuba committee. Patch opened his eyes at the lie. He visualized images of the real Oswald handing out the flyers and confronting the anti-Castro people. Patch sat up fully in the seat. Why would you want to go to Cuba? Asked the British guy as his wife looked on. The noisy children on the bus strained Patch's hearing. To see Castro if I could, answered the unknown man. In his mind, Patch called the man Blondie. Patch knew from New Orleans that Oswald played both sides of the Cuban situation. Now some man, sounding like Oswald, was headed to Mexico City because he wanted to travel to Cuba, a country that just a year ago had brought the world to the edge of a nuclear nightmare. Pilatus must have known this information. The bus rolled across the arid hills, and when he did not hear any more from Blondie, Patch slumped down in the seat. A fat-faced old British gent with a sharp British accent spoke to Blondie. Patch must have slept past the stop at Monterey because two young women, both speaking with an Australian dialect, were now on the bus. Blondie asked the old bulldog Englishman, Hey, I wonder how you say, how can I help you in Spanish? The older man shrugged his shoulders and seemed annoyed. Patch checked his watch. It was now 7.30 p.m. and he had missed the Monterey stop. Blondie stood and walked past Patch toward the two ladies seated in the back of the bus. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, he said, introducing himself. Where are you ladies traveling from? Uh, we're Australians. They called themselves Pamela and Patricia. Where have you been visiting? What places? Uh, Washington, D.C., Miami. We stayed a week. Then we went to New Orleans, down through Texas to Laredo. I was in Japan when I was with the Marines. That's the closest I got to Australia. I would very much like to go to Australia. Maybe you will. Oh, well, I've been to Russia. Have you? Have either of you been to Russia? Oh, no. But a friend of ours, an Australian, has been to Moscow. What were you doing in Russia? Asked the other woman. Patch sat up. He had the same question circulating through his head. How did you get to Russia? Did you have trouble getting in? Oh, I was studying there. I had an apartment in Moscow. Interesting. No, here, look. This is my passport. A Russian stamp? Pilatus had been told by the Russians to kill the real Oswald. Why? Patch leaned back in the seat and closed his eyes. What was so important about Oswald that Pilatus and the Russians wanted him dead, and that someone had gone to the great trouble of creating this charade? The complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.